Exodus in the 12th chapter. Exodus chapter 12. This event in the 12th chapter is where we get the name of the book from. It is the exodus or the departure of Israel out of the land of bondage, out of the land of Egypt. They will make their exodus in this chapter. So, everything that has been preached up to this point has been pointing to this time. Alright, chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh and that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the puritans thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remaineth of it until the morning shall you burn with fire. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The time of the departure, the time of the exodus. Up to this point, the grace of God and the judgments of God have fallen upon the land of Egypt in order to get God's people out of their bondage. Pharaoh has not responded to God's will in allowing the people to go out, either by grace, by mercy, or by His judgments. So now God is going to bring one final plague on the land of Egypt, it is the tenth plague, and it is the killing of the firstborn of everyone that does not have the blood applied. So the Bible gives us the timing of this event. Uh, verse 2 says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you. Today, if we go over into chapter 13 and verse 4. 13.4, this day came you out in the month of Abib. Alright, that is the fourth month of the year. Fourth month, our fourth month. Okay, so that'd be January, February, March, April. Fourth month of the year. Now, Israel has two calendars. 
Israel has a civil calendar, and the first of the year is in September. It's called Rosh Hashanah, the head of years, normally September or October. That's normally going to fall on our calendar in September or October. But then they have another calendar, which is called the religious calendar. And the religious calendar is what's being referred to here when it says this is going to be the first month of the year. That's the fourth month of the year. It begins with Passover. Okay? So the religious calendar begins with Passover in the fourth month, our fourth month. The uh, civil calendar begins in Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. You with me here? Okay, and that's normally September or October. So that explains the difference in their calendar for you. But the Bible says in verse 2, again, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be you the first month of the year unto you because what is going to happen is that there's going to be a basically a new birth, a new beginning in their life, spiritually speaking. Okay? Now, in Egypt, the new year would begin in June with the rising up of their uh, waters, okay? But, and for us, it's the first month of the year, January. But again, for them, God's changing it, and it is to commemorate new life, the beginning of a new life, or true life. And it's a picture of us when we get born again. That once we get born again, then we mark that and we commemorate that in our life. It's our spiritual birth. So you have a physical birthday, but then you have a spiritual birthday. And that's basically what God is telling Israel to do. They have a physical birthday, but they have a spiritual birthday. And their spiritual birthday is Passover. It is during the time of the Exodus. Alright, so does that explain to you? Okay. Verse 3, the Bible tells us the events leading up to this tenth plague to prepare for this. Uh, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So it's the tenth day on the fourth, our fourth month, which would be April, April the tenth. They select the lamb at that time. Now they're going to take that lamb, and we'll read about it in just a moment. They're going to take that lamb and they're going to kill it on the 14th day of the month. Okay, y'all with me here? So there's going to be a four-day delay from the time that the lamb is selected to the day that it is slain. And we'll get into that in just a moment. So God tells them on the 10th day to select the lamb. And then in verse 4, He tells them if you have a small house, then He says He makes provision for everybody. Okay, if the household be too little, verse 4, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your, your count for the lamb. So if your house is too small, then you can combine two households with your neighbor and y'all can have the lamb together. Okay. So what God is saying here, He's showing them that He's making provision for everybody. That this lamb that will be killed, be slain, that's going to bring about their salvation and their deliverance and their freedom. Nobody would be left out. Okay, it's provided for everybody. Now the scripture continues in verse 5. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. So you're going to select that lamb the tenth day and you're going to examine that lamb and you're going to make sure there's no blemishes in that lamb. 
It's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that He is our Passover lamb. Okay? So they're going to examine the lamb, make sure there's no blemish in that lamb. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, they examined Him. And Pilate says, I find no fault in Him. The religious leaders of Israel examined His life. As we're studying the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that. They could find no fault in Him. In fact, Judas Iscariot, which was, Jesus said, the devil, who betrayed Him. Judas Iscariot, the devil speaking through Him, says, I have betrayed innocent blood. So that even the devil had to confess that Jesus was innocent. When the devil comes and looks at your life, or he looks at my life, he's going to find something to accuse us with. We put our sin under the blood of Jesus Christ, right? To defeat His accusations. But when Jesus came into the world, nobody could find any fault with Him. His disciples that lived with Him on a daily basis, okay? And rested with Him at night. They found no fault in Him. Pilate could find no fault in Him. The devil himself says, I have betrayed innocent blood. So Jesus was 100% sinless. There was absolutely no blemish in that lamb. Okay? They examined Him. They looked for it. They tried to find fault in Him. But they could not find fault in Him. He was perfect without blemish. So this lamb is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was to be without blemish. It will be selected on the 10th day and offered on the 14th day, which means four days. Typology is from the creation of Adam to when Jesus Christ came into the world 4,000 years. Okay, so these, typolo- these types are perfect even in the time of the events. Do you understand what I'm saying? So from 10 to 14, four days, type from Adam to Jesus Christ, 4,000 years. Okay, he came into the world, he was examined, he was perfect. Nobody could find fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 6 again, You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. That means simply that everybody is involved. Okay, They will participate and experience the atonement or the deliverance that this Lamb provides. Now the Scripture tells us it's to be killed in the evening time. When did Jesus die? He actually died. He gave up the ghost at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So once again, this typology is exact. It's perfect. Because it was to be killed in the evening time. And verse 5 tells us it's going to be a lamb of the first year. So it's young. Jesus died in the midst of years when He was only in His 30s. So he did not die an old man. He died in his strength, in his vitality. Okay? So this lamb, verse 5, is to be a male of the first year. And it tells us in verse 5 it can be sheep or goats. Now that's interesting. Sheep or goats. Now the goats speak of sinners that are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, like Rahab, that he came to save. Okay, so it could be sheep or goats. I'm not going to get into the scapegoat and teach that to you this morning. Uh, but anyway, 
a lamb of the sheep or from the goats. And then verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. Okay? Now, so the lamb is provided by God. But you have to choose the lamb. If you don't choose the lamb, the lamb doesn't do you any good. The Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation has been provided for us, but we have to choose Him or the lamb doesn't do you any good. There's some preachers today that are preaching this doctrine and the doctrine is that everybody's going to be saved, that nobody's going to be lost, and that eventually hell will be emptied of its inhabitants and nobody will be in hell. That is a false doctrine. It is a lie from the pit. There are going to be people that are going to be in hell. You start listening to preachers preaching. Now, I'm telling you, it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So-called preachers out there that say there's not going to be a hell. You know, uh, it, it kind of shocks me. And you know, some of these preachers started out on the right foot. And they started out preaching the right things. But they got deceived and they started preaching things that were in the Bible like there's not going to be anybody in hell, that ultimately God's going to save everybody. That's not true. Just like once saved, always saved is not true. It's not true. There's going to be people that are going to be lost and are going to die and to go into hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why I get real concerned. I get concerned myself, I get concerned about my family, I get concerned about you, I get concerned about some of your family members. Let me tell you something. If a person goes away from God and they do not return to God, if they don't make it back to God, they will be in hell. Do not let the enemy play a trick on your mind into thinking that just because they were in the church at one point in their life that they're okay, they're going to go to heaven. No. You have to have the Lamb. It's provided for you. But you have to choose the Lamb for yourself. And then you have to take that Lamb. Amen. Do you understand? And the Bible says that Lamb has to die. It can't be a lamb that's chosen and gets to live. This lamb that is chosen must die. So when you preach Jesus, you have to preach His crucifixion, His death, His burial and His resurrection. If you've got a Jesus without blood, if you've got a Jesus without the cross, you're not preaching the truth. You have to have Jesus and the blood, Jesus and the cross in order to have salvation. So you have to choose the lamb. And then once you choose the lamb, the Bible says... The Lamb's blood has to be shed. And then, verse 7, next thing you have to do is apply the blood. Okay, apply the blood. Say with me, apply the blood. So the blood, the, the Lamb's been provided. You have to choose the Lamb. But then, you have to apply the blood. And I want you to listen to me carefully. Once again, and I'm, I'm just letting the Holy Ghost lead me this morning. Once again, in the church world, most preachers, most pastors, most churches will tell you, all you have to do is accept Jesus. That is a lie. Just accept Jesus. No. 
I need to be accepted by Him. Are you here with me today? Preacher, stand up and just say, come on up here and accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And they tell those people after they've done that, you're going to heaven. They've lied to them. Because it's not just enough to have the Lamb provided. The Lamb has to be chosen. But then you have to have the blood of that Lamb applied. Which means you have a responsibility. You have a participation in that. Where the blood is applied to your life as you go through the plan of salvation. How did you get the blood applied to your life? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us in verse 7 that the blood shall you will strike it on two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. Now remember, all these typologies have to be fulfilled completely. You can't leave out a part. You can't just select the lamb, choose the lamb, but you have to apply the blood. And when you apply the blood, it will be applied in three places. It's not going to just be applied on one side. It's going to be applied on both sides of the door and over the top of the door. So the blood, the placement of the blood is in three places. And it's in the shape of a cross. One here, one there, and one there. In the shape of a cross, okay? So that speaks of the cross of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. See, if He wouldn't have risen from the dead, then we are yet in our sins. There has to be the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that we preach. Okay, so now how do I apply that to my life? I have to have three things in my life that apply that blood to me. How did you get the blood applied? How do you experience His death, His burial, and His resurrection? It's so simple. Let's go to the book of Acts. In the second chapter. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we have the Apostle Peter preaching to the lost. And he's preaching to them the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after he gets through preaching that gospel message of the finished work of Jesus, here's what he tells the people in Acts chapter 2. Are you there? Okay. Verse 37, after Peter preached the gospel, you can read Acts chapter 2, you'll see he preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After he preaches that, in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. That means they were convicted. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Hold your finger up with me. Say, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see? So Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. 
But how I apply that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to my life is the first one is repentance. Where I die to myself. The second one is burial. Parallels his burial in water baptism in his name for the remission of sins. And resurrection is when you receive the Holy Ghost life of God inside of you. It is so simple. It is so basic. The problem is that people have departed from preaching the whole gospel. And these types are laid out for us. You know, you stand before God on judgment day. The Lord, if you don't have these things fulfilled, what are you going to say to the Lord? You're going to say, well, the church that I went to said all i got to do is accept Jesus. He said He would look at you and he'd say, even in the types, in the types it shows you the Lamb was provided. You had to choose it. Yes, and accept it. Choose it. But you missed it because you did not have the blood applied to your life. So we preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the way we apply that to our life is repentance, water, baptism in His name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. So I, even the type points to the message that we preach is being true. Amen? Now I'm going to leave that, I'm going to leave who God saves to God. But I for sure don't want to take any chances because hell is a long time. I want to make sure that I have the blood of the Lamb applied to my life. And I'm going to tell you this. That's not even And I'm going to prove it to you by the Word of the Lord today. Because I don't want this church to go charismatic. I don't want this church to, to go, go religious and forsake the doctrine. It's going to take more than just the blood applied to your life according to this passage. That shocks some of you. Why are you looking at me like that? That shocks some of you. The Bible tells us, it said after the blood is applied, does everybody understand it? It's so basic. It is so simple. I, when these things were showed to me, I was raised in the church all my life. A Lutheran. I was a Lutheran. I went through catechism. I went through all of the you know, all the teaching. I learned a lot of good things in the Lutheran church. But when I really wanted to be saved, as God was dealing with me in a time of a pre-illumination of salvation, that means I was having dreams and God was dealing with my life. God connected me with a pastor that showed me Acts 2.38. And I said, you know, I've never been showed that before. And I was raised in church all my life. I've never been showed this before. And when he showed it to me, I said, it's there. It's in the Bible. I want to do it. So I repented of my sins. I was baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I was filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. You can't tell me it's not necessary. You can't tell me that it's done away with. I've already experienced it. I wasn't raised this way is what I'm trying to tell you. I was showed it in the Bible. And I believed it. And I've experienced it in my life. Okay? Now, notice what else he says to do though. After you apply the blood. He says, And they shall eat the flesh in the night. 
you are to roast it with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. The next thing he says is once you apply the blood of the lamb, then you've got to get the lamb inside of you. You have to eat the lamb. The lamb has to be in you. And I say, well, that's the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I believe that. The lamb coming inside of you is the Holy Ghost. But remember, the blood's applied in three areas. But you eat the lamb, what for? The strength to live for him. So that once you become a born-again believer, having applied the blood to your life, now you have to feed on the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. You have to eat him. You have to put him inside. So He makes provision for us not only to save us initially, but once we get saved, if He's in us, if we're feeding on Him, He gives us the provision of strength to live for Him. So do you start living for Jesus Christ. You know, you, you get the blood applied in life, you start living for Him. Sometimes you're going to get tired, you're going to get weary. All kinds of battles are going to come in your life. But the Lord is showing you if you eat Him, if you feast on Him, if you get the King inside of you. It's a spiritual kingdom. You have to eat Him. Hallelujah. So you have to apply the blood, but once you apply the blood, then you have to eat Him. You have to feed on Him and be strengthened by Him on a daily basis. And He made that provision for you and He made that provision for me. That if I'll feed on Him, and you're feeding on Him right now. Because when I preach the Word to you, I'm preaching Jesus to you. And as you're ingesting the Word of God, you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is the Word. So you're being fed today, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in a physical or literal way. But the spiritual food that we eat, the bread that we eat, who is Jesus Christ, is His Word. And it's given me the strength that I need. See, I need, I need the Word. I need to be fed. I need to feed on Jesus Christ. You understand? I don't know about you, but I came here this morning and I'm trying to discern, you know, what's going on? You know, I, just, I, I don't want to get into trying to explain things to you. Sometimes I just don't know. I don't, I don't feel much. Does that make sense? Sometimes I don't feel very strong. But start preaching the Word of God and start feeding on the Lord and all of a sudden, Life. It's like if you haven't eaten food for a week, you're weak. And you come in here. Have you ever gone for a week without eating? Fasted for a week without eating? And how weak you get? Hey, Ben, I remember when the Lord told us to go on a 21-day fast. And the first 10 days we didn't eat you know, anything. And the last 11 days we got to eat a little bit of you know, salad and stuff. How many of y'all enjoyed the salad after 10 days? You know, olives sure did taste good. You know, give me another olive, whatever. And some of y'all said, can we add beans to the salad? I said, whatever, go ahead. You know? But I remember, I remember those days when, you know, we just I would get so hungry and it just seemed so weak. And you put a little food in your mouth and you put it in your belly and almost like the light comes on. Wow, life! You know what I'm saying? See, if you've never fasted that long, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you've never been hungry that long, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you get hungry after seven days, ten days is even worse. But you take a little food and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you start feeling like you're coming alive. 
When you feed on Jesus Christ, you put Him on the inside of you. You know, it's like that. His life starts coming up in you. You know, you feel weak. We need Him. We need His Word. We need the church. We need to feed on Him. We need to feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we preach the Word of God, if you receive it inside of you, you'll walk out of here with the strength you need to live for Him. He didn't just provide salvation through the death, burial, resurrection and salvation by applying that blood of Acts 2.38, but He provided for you the strength to live for Him. Say, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can live for it. I'm telling you, if you'll eat the lamb, if you'll get the lamb inside of you, you can make it. He'll give you the strength you need on a daily basis. And you need to feed on Him, not just when I'm preaching the Word of God, but you need to feed on Him during the week. You need to read this Word of God and put it inside of you and ingest this Word of God inside of you. And you'll make it. You'll make it. I remember when I first got in the church, first got baptized yesterday and got filled with the Holy Ghost, my pastor came by my house. I was standing outside. And he stopped by and he was talking to me. And I just happened to mention to him that I had been reading the Bible. It's a new convert. It's a new believer. I said, I told him I was reading the Bible. He looked at me and he said, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. That shocked me. I looked up at my pastor. And I said, you're telling me that if I just read the Bible that I'm going to make it? He said, yes. That stayed with me from all these years, from a new convert to now. That stayed with me for years that if I would just read my Bible, if I would feed on Jesus Christ, get Him on the inside of me, that I would make it. Get into your Bible. Read it. Feed on it. So I was in the church for a little over a year. Same pastor stood up and he said, How many of y'all been in the church for one year and you haven't read your Bible from cover to cover? I happened to be one of those in the church that had not read my Bible from cover to cover and I had been in the church for one year. Didn't feel too good about that. First of all, maybe I didn't realize I needed to read the Bible from cover to cover the first year. But when he said that, it convicted me. And so I set out to read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. And since then, I've read the Bible from cover to cover many, many times. My question for you today is the same question he asked. If you've been in the church for a year, how many of y'all have read the Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation? If you haven't, make it a goal and a point in your life. Don't wait till the first of the year. Start now. And read from Genesis to the book of Revelation. The way he said it was this, shame on you if you haven't read the Bible from cover to cover and you've been in the church for a year. I'm not going to say shame on you. I'm just asking you the question. Praise the Lord. We need to feed on the Lord. And yes, read everything. Even the Chronicles, the first nine chapters where you've got nine chapters of genealogical records. Read those too. You might be surprised what you find in them. I want to show you something. 
Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 18. These nine long chapters of genealogy, this person begat so and so. Number nine chapters. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, in verse 18, look down at the last part of that verse. I'm not going to try to read all of these names, okay? But look at the last part of that verse where it says, And these are the sons of Ithia, the daughter of Pharaoh, which married to him. If you skip over the genealogical record of 1 Chronicles chapter 9, when you're reading the Bible and you're feeding on the land, you're going to jump right over that fact right there that when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter came out of Egypt with them. Pharaoh's daughter forsook all of her pagan idols and all of her pagan worship and embraced the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pharaoh's daughter is recorded in the genealogy of God. So when you're reading 1 Chronicles, those first nine chapters, you get bored with them, you know this one, but got this one. You're going to find gold in those chapters. Like Pharaoh's daughter got converted. Pharaoh's daughter forsook her paganism. Amen? She was converted. And if you study that particular verse in detail, if you go back over there, let me turn there again. First Chronicles 4. Are y'all with me? Read the whole Bible. Feed on it. Some of you haven't cracked the Bible open in months. It says, Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, which Merit took. The Jewish Talmud says that that's Caleb. Okay? So it's important for you to feed on the whole Word of God so you'll find out these wonderful things that happen. When you get to heaven, if you make it, if I make it, you're going to see the daughter of Pharaoh Sook her false gods, her paganism, and embraced the land, and came out of Egypt, Israel, and is recorded in the genealogical record of God's people. Isn't that amazing? God can do it for Pharaoh's daughter. He can do it for me, and He has done it for some. Of some of y'all are pagan to the core. Not me, but y'all. You have to eat Him. You have to feed on Him if you want to have the strength to be a Christian. And He says that it must be roasted with fire. They took that lamb literally. When you study it, it's very interesting. They took the lamb and they roasted it. They put its legs out like this. They staked it like that. They run a stake this way through it. Like this. And a stake this way through it. So that when you saw the lamb being roasted over the fire, the lamb was, was literally hanging on a cross. No mistaking it. 
The cross is on everything. All of these types. The cross is there. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The time, the placement, the application, the choosing of it, the eating of it. How it was to be uh, prepared. Don't boil it in water. Roast it with fire. Because the wrath of God is going to fall on the Lamb of God upon the cross for my sin and your sin. And when you saw that Lamb on that skewer, it was in the shape of the cross. All pointing to Jesus. And when Israel will travel through the wilderness in their camps, if you were to fly a helicopter over them or fly a plane over them, as they traveled in their camps, 600,000 men, and we'll see that in a moment, when they were set in their camps, they were in the shape of the cross. So when you flew over them, if you did fly over them, you would see the whole camp of Israel, 60 miles long and 8 miles wide, 500 square miles, one huge cross walking through the wilderness. The cross is on everything. Jesus' finished work is on everything. Amen? So the Lamb's been provided, but you have to choose the Lamb. You have to apply the blood in three areas of your life. If you're preaching a true gospel, you're going to preach what I'm telling you today. Because that's the Bible. That's not my opinion. And then you're going to feed on the Lamb. You're going to read His Word. You're going to digest Him, ingest Him to have strength to live for Him. When they ate the Lamb, the Bible says in Psalm 105.37, let's go there. I'm going to take the time to read it to you. I'm just teaching you this morning. Turn to Psalm 105, please. Verse 37, He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. When they applied the blood and ingested the Lamb of God, when they walked out of Israel, 600,000 men strong, close to 2 million people, 2 to 3 million, maybe even more people. A miracle took place. So that everybody, all the elderly, everybody that was there, if they were sick in their body, if they had diseases in their body, if they had infirmities in their body, if they were feeble, a miracle took place and every one of those people in Israel was supernaturally healed. There was not one feeble one among them, not one sick person. A miracle took place. That's what happens when you apply the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to your life and then you ingest Him, you feed Him because the King is in you. The Lamb is inside of you. You can expect miracles to take place in your life. His body, those stripes upon His back were placed upon His back for the healing of our body. By His stripes we were healed, not are healed. It was, it's already done. Peter says we were healed by His stripes. Not one feeble one among them. A miracle took place when they came out of Egypt. They'd roasted it with fire. They'd eaten it. 
he says, notice verse 9, he says, the head with his legs and with the Puritans thereof. Sometimes when I preach, and the same pastor stood up and he said, how many of y'all been in the church for one year and you haven't read your Bible from cover to cover? I happened to be one of those in the church that had not read my Bible from cover to cover and I had been in the church for one year. Didn't feel too good about that. First of all, maybe I didn't realize I needed to read the Bible from cover to cover the first year. But when he said that, it convicted me. And so I set out to read the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. And since then, I've read the Bible from cover to cover many, many times. My question for you today is the same question he asked. If you've been in the church for a year, how many of y'all have read the Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation? If you haven't, make it a goal and a point in your life. Don't wait till the first of the year. Start now. And read from Genesis to the book of Revelation. The way he said it was this, shame on you if you haven't read the Bible from cover to cover and you've been in the church for a year. I'm not going to say shame on you. I'm just asking you the question. Praise the Lord. We need to feed on the Lord. And yes, read everything. Even the Chronicles, the first nine chapters where it, you've got nine chapters of genealogical records. Read those too. You might be surprised what you find in them. I want to show you something. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 18. These nine long chapters of genealogy, this person begat so-and-so for nine chapters. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, in verse 18, look down at the last part of that verse. I'm not going to try to read all of these names. okay? But look at the last part of that verse where it says, And these are the sons... Abithia, the daughter of Pharaoh, which married to him. If you skip over the genealogical record of 1 Chronicles chapter 9, when you're reading the Bible and you're feeding on the land, you're going to jump right over that fact right there that when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter came out of Egypt with them. Pharaoh's daughter forsook all of her pagan idols and all of her pagan worship and embraced the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pharaoh's daughter is recorded in the genealogy of God. So when you're reading 1 Chronicles, in those first nine chapters, you get bored with them, you know this one, we got this one. You're going to find gold in those chapters. Like Pharaoh's daughter got converted. Pharaoh's daughter forsook her paganism. Amen? She was converted. And if you study that particular verse in detail, if you go back over there, let me turn there again. 1 Chronicles 4. Are you all with me? Read the whole Bible. 
feed on it. Some of you haven't cracked the Bible open in months. It says, Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, which Merit took, the Jewish Talmud says that that's Caleb. So it's important for you to feed on the whole Word of God so you'll find out these wonderful things that happen. When you get to heaven, if you make it, if I make it, you're going to see the daughter of Pharaoh who forsook her false gods, her paganism, and embraced the land and came out of Egypt, Israel. And it's recorded in the genealogical record of God's people. Isn't that amazing? God can do it for Pharaoh's daughter. He can do it for me. And He has done it for some of you. Some of y'all are pagan to the core. Not me, but y'all. So you have to eat Him. You have to feed on Him if you want to have the strength to be a Christian. And he says that it must be roasted with fire. They took that lamb literally. When you study it, it's very interesting. They took the lamb and they roasted it. They put its legs out like this. They staked it like that. They run a stake this way through it. Like this. And a stake this way through it. So that when you saw the lamb being roasted over the fire, the lamb was, was literally hanging on it. No mistaking it. The cross is on everything. All of these types. The cross is there. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The time, the placement, the application, the choosing of it, the eating of it. How it was to be uh, prepared. Don't boil it in water. Roast it with fire. Because the wrath of God is going to fall on the Lamb of God upon the cross for my sin and your sin. And when you saw that lamb on that skewer, it was in the shape of the cross. All pointing to Jesus. And when Israel will travel through the wilderness in their camps, if you were to fly a helicopter over them or fly a plane over them, as they traveled in their camps, 600,000 men, and we'll see that in a moment, when they were set in their camps, they were in the shape of the cross. So when you flew over them, if you did fly over them, you would see the whole camp of Israel. 60 miles long and 8 miles wide. 500 square miles. One huge cross walking through the wilderness. The cross is on everything. Jesus' finished work is on everything. Amen? So the Lamb's been provided, but you have to choose the Lamb. You have to apply the blood in three areas of your life. If you're preaching a true gospel, you're going to preach what I'm telling you today. Because that's the Bible. That's not my opinion. And then you're going to feed on the Lamb. You're going to read His Word. You're going to digest Him, ingest Him to have strength to live for Him. When they ate the Lamb, the Bible says in Psalm 105.37, let's go there. I'm going to take the time to read it to you. 
is teaching you this morning. Turn to Psalm 105, please. Verse 37, He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. When they applied the blood and ingested the Lamb of God, when they walked out of Israel, 600,000 men strong, close to 2 million people, 2 to 3 million, maybe even more people. A miracle took place so that everybody, all the elderly, everybody that was there, if they were sick in their body, if they had diseases in their body, if they had infirmities in their body, if they were feeble, a miracle took place and every one of those people in Israel was supernaturally healed. There was not one feeble one among them, not one sick person. A miracle took place. That's what happens when you apply the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to your life and then you ingest Him, you feed Him because the King is in you. The Lamb is inside of you. You can expect miracles to take place in your life. His body, those stripes upon His back were placed upon His back for the healing of our body. By His stripes we were healed, not are healed. It was, it's already done. Peter says we were healed by His stripes. Not one feeble one among them. A miracle took place when they came out of Egypt. They'd roasted it with fire. They'd eaten it. And he says, notice verse 9. He says, the head with his legs and with the Puritans thereof. Sometimes when I preach, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. You know, I preach it and I show the typology of the Passover lamb. When you take the Lord's Supper, it's Jesus doesn't actually, He's not actually, the, you know, the wine or the juice and the bread doesn't turn into His body. But spiritually, when you take the Lord's Supper spiritually, you're eating the head of the lamb. His eyes, vision, His ears to hear. Do you understand? On and on, you can preach each aspect of that lamb and preach it in, as you are administering the Lord's Supper and teach the church how each part of the Lamb of God in you gives you a certain attribute of God. So they ate the lamb. They ingested Him. If you're weak today, it's because you haven't been feeding on Him. If, you, if I don't have strength to this, because I haven't been feeding on Him. Fire of God fell upon him, his head with his legs, and the Puritans thereof were roasted with fire. The Puritans is the inwards, it's the guts. See, holiness doesn't just affect your outward appearance. When you eat Jesus, you get the inward, innards of Jesus. The Puritans thereof is the inward, inner parts, the guts. Not just the head, not just the legs, but the Puritans thereof. Holiness just affects you inwardly and outwardly. You can have all the outward just exactly right, but if your inward is not right, you need to eat the Puritans thereof. 
You need to get the inwards of Jesus in you. You need to get his heart in you. You need to get his guts in you. Verse 10. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. This is a picture of Jesus Christ when they take his body off the cross and they put him in the sepulcher. His body saw no corruption. He rose from the dead before his body started decaying. So when it says nothing's going to remain, if there's anything left, you're going to burn it with fire. No corruption in Jesus Christ. His body saw no corruption. He rose from the dead. In verse 11, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded. Ah, another thing you got to do. It's not only apply the blood and put the lamb in you, ingest the lamb of God in you, but the next thing you've got to do is you've got to put shoes on your feet. You've got to clothe your body and take your staffs in your hand. You have to be ready. Because when He passes through and you're going to leave in the middle of the night, if you're not ready, look at it very carefully. You're going to eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. My question for you today is, what if somebody just chose the lamb but didn't kill the lamb? What if somebody killed the lamb and took the blood but didn't apply the blood of the lamb? What would happen to that person? Judgment would come. What would happen if that person didn't eat the lamb? They wouldn't have strength for the journey. They wouldn't make it. You won't make it if you don't have the lamb in you. My next question for you is what if those people just decided, okay, we're just going to lay down and we're going to go to sleep. We're not going to put our shoes on our feet, clothe our bodies, staff in hand. We're not going to prepare to go. We're not going to be ready. What would have happened to those people? The death angel passed through. And Israel is up quickly, in haste, quickly. And they march out of Egypt very quickly. You know what would have happened to you? Or it would have happened to me? If I didn't have my shoes on my feet and clothes on my body and a staff in my hand, I would have been left behind. Another type. You and I have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We have to be ready for the rapture of the church. You've got to have your feet, your shoes on your feet, spiritual clothes on your body. You've got to have your staff in your hand. You've got to be ready to go at all times because the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout for the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And when He descends, He's going to shout just like the Jewish husband would shout for his bridegroom. When he went to her house to get her, he would shout, and normally in the middle of the night, Are you ready? And she would have to jump up, and she would have to run out of the house, normally at night. And her bridesmaids following her down the street. The Lord is going to come. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. And the question is today, are you ready? 
the backslider, if you're a backslider, you're not going to be ready. He's going to come in an hour where you think not. You're not prepared. You're not dressed. You're not ready. He's going to shout. And those that are prepared, those that are ready, are going to ascend with the bridegroom into heaven at the time of the rapture. But you have to be ready. You can't be sleeping. Spiritually speaking. Amen. We're not going to sleep as others do. Romans 13 talks about it. We're not going to sleep as others do. Amen. We're going to be ready. How many of y'all are ready now? Don't lift your hand. But right now, if Jesus were to come right now and rapture the church, and He would shout without shout, are you ready? How many of us in this church service this morning have our shoes on our feet, clothes on our body, staff in our hand, I'm ready to go. If that person was not ready, they would have been left So once you get the blood applied to your life, you have to feed on Him and you then have to be prepared and be ready at all times. Because if you don't prepare, you will be left behind. You go through those steps and if any one of these Israelites had missed any of one of these details, what would have happened to them? blood wasn't applied, judgment would have come. If the blood was applied, they didn't eat the lamb. They wouldn't have the strength to go on. If they didn't clothe themselves and prepare for the journey, they would have been left behind. So as a believer, you not only see justification here by the applying of the blood to your life, but you see sanctification, which means to live a holy life unto God. So we don't just need justification to make it to heaven we need sanctification we have to be prepared and notice this God told them when to eat the lamb and how to eat it I don't want God telling me what to do some people will say then you're not going to heaven because God tells us what to eat how to eat it when to eat it he gives us every detail how many of you want to be ready How many just think they're ready and they're not ready? It's going to be a, a huge surprise. Did y'all know this is in the Bible? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful typology of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But how as a believer we apply that to our life and have the strength to live for Him. And it teaches us the importance of being prepared at all times. thank God when the rapture takes place that some people that are left behind we won't remember. It's hard enough to see family members who don't, aren't going to live for God. They don't want to live for God. It's hard to live as a Christian and, and know in your spirit that these people aren't ready to meet God. How would you feel if you got raptured and you found out that your family members were all left behind? I'm thankful that the Lord's not going to reveal that to us. It would be a horrible thing to go through, wouldn't it? 
maybe heaven wouldn't be heaven, or if maybe at the beginning He allows us to know it, but at some point the Bible says He'll wipe all tears from our eyes. He may let, may let you know it at the beginning, but at some point He'll wipe your memory. Because heaven wouldn't be heaven. If you have to live forever and ever and ever and know that your family members are in hell. The main thing is that you and I be ready that we've had the blood applied to our life the Bible way. That we've, we've ingested Jesus Christ in our life. That we've got the strength to go on and we're prepared. And when He comes, we're ready. If I die, I'm ready. Are you ready? You can't get ready when the shout takes place. You've got to get ready before the shout takes place. How many people right now they, they feel pretty comfortable in their rebellion against God and their rejection of God. They feel pretty comfortable. They're partying down, man. The rapture is going to take place. And the church is going to be taken out. The bride's going to be taken out. And they're going to be left behind. I would not want to be that person. Eat it with your, your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. This tenth and final plague, God has tried by grace and by judgment to bring Pharaoh to repentance. He would not listen to mercy. He would not listen to grace. And He would not listen to judgment. He continually hardened His heart. And God says, one more. And this is the final one. And when that death angel passes through Egypt, if that blood is not applied, every firstborn is going to die. The firstborn of Pharaoh. The firstborn of those that are in the dungeon. The firstborn of all the animals. They're all going to die. The judgment is going to fall on them because they didn't get ready. None would be exempt except those who had the blood applied to their life. It is not true that nobody's going to go to hell. It is not true. There are people that are going to experience the divine judgment of Jesus Christ because they're not ready. Because some preacher told them all they had to do was choose the Lamb. All they had to do is accept the Lamb. I would not want to be that pastor on Judgment Day when the multitudes of thousands of people they have misled stand before God. But my pastor said choose, accept, God said you needed the blood applied. You didn't have it. Can you imagine what it would be like when the angels pick you up and hurl you, cast you through space as you're floating, flying through air knowing you're fixing to land in a lake of fire. You have just found out that you did need the Holy Ghost. That you did need the blood applied to your life. 
in water baptism in Jesus' name. And as you are being hurled by angels into the lake of fire, you will hear people screaming out, I did need the Holy Ghost. I did need water baptism in Jesus' name. But my pastor, I don't want your blood on my hands. I'm going to preach to you justification by grace. I'm going to preach to you the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach to you how to apply that to your life. I'm going to preach to you the necessity to live a sanctified, holy life without which no man shall see the Lord. I'm going to preach it to you because I don't want your blood on my hands on that day. Are you ready? Young and old, are you ready today? How many have obeyed the gospel? Are you ready? The judgment's coming. Verse 13, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood protects His people from judgment. When God begins to judge people, if He sees the blood applied to your life, He does not judge you. Amen. The judgment won't fall upon you. You won't be in hell if the blood of Jesus is applied to your life. He will see the blood, the prominence of the blood. He says, when I see the blood, He said, I'll give you the place of the blood, but now I'll show you the prominence of the blood. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Judgment will not come upon you if the blood of Jesus is applied to your life. We preach this to you many times when the presence of God begins to move in a congregation, when it falls from heaven upon people. They feel the wrath of God because God's Spirit, when it comes down, always comes down in wrath until it hits the blood. And when it hits the blood, it turns to mercy. I deserve judgment. I deserve... I'm telling you me. I deserve judgment. I deserve to go to hell. I don't deserve to go to heaven. But when He sees the blood, He passes over me. When He sees the blood, I'll not be in hell because I've got the blood applied to my life. I don't think I'm preaching to anybody here that wants to die and go to hell. And when Jesus sees the blood, that will protect you from that place called hell. Amen. I'm feeding on Him. I'm strengthened today. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm walking with Him. I'm serving Him. I'm living for Him. And then He goes on down and He tells them to make a memorial of this event called Passover. They would observe it and connect it with Passover, which is the 14th day of the month. Seven days connected to that will be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Another typology. Passover was when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Unleavened bread was fulfilled when they took His body and they put it in the tomb. They removed His body out of sight. Also, the feast themselves, one by one, lay out our salvation. I repent of my sins. The leaven is removed out of my life in water baptism just as His body was removed out of sight in burial. My sins are removed out of sight by burial in water baptism in Jesus' name. So connected with 
the Passover is unleavened bread, eating unleavened bread for seven days. God tells them, you read it when you have time, read it. God tells them, get rid of all the leaven out of the bread because leaven's a type of evil. It's a type of sin. You can't have it in your bread. Get rid of the sin out of your life. Get rid of the evil out of your life. When you get water baptized in Jesus' name, all of your sins are washed away. But then you have to go in, through in your life on a daily basis. You have to get rid of this leaven and this leaven. Are y'all with me? I remember when I first got baptized in water in the name of Jesus and all of my sins were remitted. But then I had to start removing sin out of my life. You know? The ones we call big sin like cussing. Using profanity. I remove that leaven. Praise be to God. When God saved me, He so saved me, He sanctified my tongue. I, I'm, I'm being honest with you when I say this. I, don't, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've used a profane word. Over 30 years. God purified my language. When I spoke in tongues, I don't walk around cussing. I don't use profanity. And I, I'm being honest with you. I, I can't really even count. It's so minimal. So many, so minimal the times that I ever let it even slip out of my mouth. Because God, when He saved me, He saved my tongue. He purified me. And when, when I got baptized in water, profanity left me. When I got baptized in water, lying left me. I'm going to be honest with you, and this is not self-righteousness. I don't remember the last time I ever told a lie in my life. Some of you say, well, I can remember I told one this morning. I'm being honest with you, church. I don't remember the last time I've ever told a lie in my life. Leaven has been removed out of my life. I've removed, removed the profane language. I've removed the lying out of my life. I've removed the, the drinking out of my life. Hallelujah. I never smoked cigarettes, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that. You know? But that's what you do after you get converted, become a born again believer. Then the leaven goes, the lying, the profanity. You say, but I just can't do it, Pastor. I can't live and never tell a lie. I can't live and never say a profane word. Yes, you can. I said, yes, you can. Give the Lord praise. I don't lie. Christians should not lie. I said, Christians should not lie. Christians shouldn't be using profane language. If you've got it, you need to get it out of your life. You need to get the leaven out of your life. And you know what? They were so careful, brothers and sisters, to get all the leaven out of their life during the time of Passover. They would go and they'd get the big loaves first and throw them out. And then they'd get all the little loaves and then the little crumbs. They were so meticulous. They'd get a wood spoon. They would search in their house for even one little crumb of the, the wood spoon speaks of the, of the cross, Jesus Christ, the wood. They would search with a candle 
go into. You understand? Go into every nook and cranny with a feather in their hands, the top of the, the dove, the Holy Ghost, and the wood spoon in their hand, the top of the cross, and sweep that little crumb from every corner in their house because it had leaven. They were scared to death if they missed a crumb that the curse of God would come on them. If they saw a mouse running across the, the, the floor with a, leaven, a piece of leavened bread in its mouth, they were scared to death to bring the curse of God on their life. This typology, this laid out, teaches us that once we become born again believers, we've got to get rid of the sin in our life. Get rid of the loaves, then the small loaves, and every crumb. And don't be satisfied until you get every crumb of sin out of your life. It is not the Christian faith or the way to live for Christ to give yourself excuse for the little things. It is important to get the candle out. Zephaniah talks about God said, I'm going to search my people out with a candle. I'm going to look for everything in them. It's important that we look for everything. And we need the Puritans thereof. We need to have our inwards purified. Our thoughts have to be purified. What are you feeding on? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? You've got to get rid of that. You've got to feed on the Puritans thereof. And it is a continual search for the rest of your life for you and I to find every little crumb of leaven that's still in my life. Everything. Say, so we don't need this, Pastor. You're not preaching the Bible then. I tell you, if you were a Jewish person today, you would tremble if you knew there was leaven in your house during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because it's a symbol of evil. Outward holiness and inward holiness is important to God. How many of y'all believe that today? We need to tremble. We shouldn't take sin lightly. We should tremble at the thought of sin. Sin is a power. It's, it's not, you know, we think about sin, we think about it as, a, as something we've done in action. But sin is a power that will come and dominate and destroy your life. And so in connection with the Passover, every year they celebrate Passover. And by the grace of God, next Sunday morning I will, I will try to preach to you the four cups that are connected to the Passover meal that the Jewish people celebrate today. And the apokomen, which is the bread that they put in between the first and second layer of the cloth. I'll try to remember that and preach it to you. But every year, as the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Passover, the time of their freedom, the time of the blood of the Lamb, the time of their exodus, they go through this process and they remove the unleavened bread out of their house. Still today, they eat the Lamb. Still today, there's unleavened bread connected to that food. Still today, there's the eating as... I, I didn't read all of the verse, but the eating also of the bitter herbs. He said, eat with, along with that lamb, you eat bitter herbs. Let me go back and read it to you so you'll see this.
Verse 8, they shall eat the flesh and that night roast with fire, unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. That unleavened bread speaks of holiness. Unleavened bread speaks of sanctification. Once you become a born-again believer, justification takes place instantly. But sanctification is a lifetime process. We are learning by the Word of God how to please the Lord in your life. And He calls us to remove every piece of sin. The bread speaks of holiness, but the bitter herbs, the bitter herbs speak of the bitterness of sin. The bitter herbs speak of the persecution the nation of Israel went through, the suffering they went through in Egypt, the bitterness. It speaks of self-denial. When you eat that lamb and you eat that bread that's unleavened and you eat those bitter herbs, when you eat those bitter herbs, they taste bitter. When you have to deny yourself and I have to deny myself, sometimes it's not enjoyable. Sometimes it's bitter. But you have to eat the bitter herbs as well to be ready. Self-denial and holiness of life. I'm still searching, church. I'm still looking. I'm a human being. I'm still looking in my life today. I'm examining my life today. A daily basis. When I come to, to the house of God, I'm once again searching my life. By the Word of God, the light and the feather, the Spirit of God, and the wood spoon, the cross, removing everything in my life and sin. Everything that defiles me. Jesus is my Passover, 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. Therefore, I apply these things to my life spiritually. How many of you today, when you come to the house of God, you're letting the Word of God be the light to shine in every crevice of your mind and heart and life, every aspect of your being? Is the leaven being removed? Sometimes when God's truth comes to us like it does, and it shows us what we need to do, it creates bitterness in us. Because we don't want to do it. We don't want to deny ourselves of certain things. You have to eat the bitterness. Along with the bread. It's a lifetime thing. Sanctification is a lifetime process. So he goes through and he tells them about this convoc holy convocation called the Passover and the, the, the unleavened bread. They do this every year. We do it spiritually. Responsibility today, church, to make sure all the leaven's gone. I have a responsibility in my life. They will leave on the 15th of the sun, and that seven day 
cycle of unleavened bread. go through that process. Have you ever gone through this process? I know I have at times. And just going back to the bitter herbs and you're eating bitter herbs. You've been through that process of self-denial? Have you ever been through that process of self-judgment? Eat bitter herbs. You have to judge yourself so you won't be judged by Him. So he tells him in the latter part of verse 17, this will be a word of forever. In verse 18, the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and the 20th day of the month. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, but whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be stranger or born in the land. brings a severe judgment. God says, I'll cut you off from my people. Sanctification is required to make it to heaven. Holiness is required to make it to heaven. The removal of sin in my life and yours. So what if I fail, Pastor? Put it under the blood. That's where justification comes free forgiveness and pardon by the blood of Jesus. But you still have a responsibility and so do I to get rid of the sin in our life. Because if we don't, we'll be cut off. You heard Brother Evans preach not long ago. A missionary to Taiwan stood up and he said, if you don't repent, there's no forgiveness of sin. Once the light of God's Word reveals a sin, then you must repent. And once you repent, then you can be forgiven. So we see it once again typically. Verse 20, You shall eat nothing living in all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them to draw out and take you a lamb according to their families and kill the Passover and you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood. So the next thing we have is the hyssop. Typically in the passage. You're going to apply the blood with a little shrub. <laughs> it's called a hyssop. They lift it up, remember? To Jesus. Hyssop speaks of this little shrub that they're going to apply the blood with on the doors and over the top is a type of faith. The way you apply the blood is by the heights of your faith. It's not a physical thing today. It's not a literal thing as far as physical, literal blood. It's by faith you apply the blood of Jesus to your life. You're going to strike the lintel on the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. So I want you to think about it. You're not going to put it on the ground where the blood can be walked on. You're going to put it at the top and on the two side posts. If that be the case, it's in the shape of a cross. They're going to sit there till in the morning and when they get up and they walk through the door, 
they're walking through the blood. Beautiful typology. Walking through the blood. But the Bible tells us, the Lord shall pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. See? You see the picture? And the picture behind the Hebrew wording is this. is that when this death angel is passing through to kill the firstborn that doesn't have the blood applied in judgment, the Lord is there by the blood saying, not here. Not here. The blood's applied. Have I got the blood applied to me in my life? When judgment comes, the death angel comes, the Lord's going to say, not in this house. Not here. The blood's applied right here. Not here. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. So it's interesting that they, you know, he says the death angel, but then he says the Lord's going to pass through. And the judgment comes. Judgment's going to be waved off because the blood's been applied. For the Lord will pass through the Egyptians, and he, when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and of the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the blood and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And once again, he repeats in the following verses. The importance of commemorating this event. Celebrate this. Turn it into a festival. It's the time of your freedom. It's the time of your deliverance from bondage of Egypt with a type of sin and Satan, Pharaoh. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it. Today it's the Lord's Supper. We do in remembrance of Him. So once again, He tells them when he brings them out of Egypt to remember this, to keep the Passover. And he says, one of the reasons is because your children are going to sit down with you at the table. And as you're observing the Passover and you're going through those steps, you can tell them what, I'm, what God did mightily for you. You can testify of what God has done for you and for your family and for your house by His grace and mercy. Tell it to your children. Verse 29, the event. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of cattle and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one He would not listen to the warnings. God had sent Moses over and over in mercy and grace and by judgment. But he wouldn't listen to the warning and the judgment fell in his firstborn. Pharaoh's firstborn is in his hands dead. He's lost his son to death. And all the Egyptians that didn't have the blood applied and all those in the dungeons that didn't have the blood applied and even the animals that had the firstborn theirs died. And the Bible says there was a great crying in the land of Egypt. A great cry. 
if God today were to allow you and I to hear the cries of those that are in hell, what would it sound like? Cries of those that are in hell this morning who heard the Word of God, who heard the message of grace and mercy, and those that even God tried to turn by chastisement, they refused to listen, and today they're in hell. If you could hear their cries, why don't people listen to the warning? Why don't they hear the warning of God and prepare? Hell is real. That's why you and I got that we need to share the gospel. We need to preach this gospel to the world. Because there's countless millions and millions of people dying and on their way to hell. These people experienced the mercy and the judgment of God before they went there. Pharaoh's daughter listened. That's interesting to me. If Pharaoh did not apply the blood, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, was it 4? It was 4 and 18, I believe it was. Then how did she get out of Egypt? Did she, she had to make a choice. Alright, Daddy. You don't want to obey God? I'm going to obey God. You don't want to apply your blood, Daddy? I'm going to go and I'm going to apply the blood. I'm going to get in the house where the blood is. is. I'm going to get in the house where the blood is. And the Bible says Pharaoh's daughter came out. Are you all with me? You need to stay in a church where the blood is preached. If you're in a house today where the blood is not preached, you better get in a house where the blood of Jesus Christ is preached. Pharaoh's daughter was saved. She walked out of Egypt. But that means she got in a house where the blood was preached. You're not in a church where the blood's not preached. You better get out of there and you better get out of there quick. Get in a house where the blood is preached. Because when people go to hell, there is a cry today from that place that is greater than the cry of the Egyptians when the judgments of God came into their land. It's been sort of a solemn approach to preaching this. There's a lot of good news here, but I just, I'm just letting the Spirit of God bring even my emotion into... I was trying in the prayer room to lift myself up and you know, to try to get out of a feeling of remorse and to, and to feel, get out of a feeling of grief. I was trying to lift myself and shout myself out of it. But the Lord wouldn't let me do it. He's kept me in a solemn place this morning as I preach the Word of God to you. Heaven is real, but so is hell. If you go there forever and ever and ever and ever, there'll be cries from you louder than the cries that were heard in Egypt. On the one hand, this judgment brought salvation to the people of God. On the other hand, it brought judgment on those that did not believe. See, when God's judgments come, it brings blessing to the people of God, but it brings damnation or judgment to the lost.
If you're a child of God, you've got a lot to celebrate. But if you're not ready this morning, you need to fear. You need to fear. Paul said this. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. My God is a consuming fire. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If the devil has tricked you into thinking that living an ungodly life or your kids can live an ungodly life and still go to heaven, you need to wake up knowing the terror of the Lord. Paul says, we persuade men. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. I went through Egypt like the Bible says has never happened before it was those that being judged by God dead babies in their hands dead firstborn I should say in their arms but also the devil cried that night the devil cried because God's people are being taken out of his Jesus died on the cross. The devil liked to laugh himself to death. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead the third day, the devil liked to cry to himself to death. Because Jesus brought salvation to those that would believe, those that would choose and apply the blood. He brought salvation. And the devil started losing his grip. He lost me out of his hand. He lost you out of his hand. He's losing nations out of his hand. Hallelujah. Give God praise. But this is the message that must be preached in order for people to be delivered from demonics. For people to be delivered from Satan's power. This is the message that must be preached. And when it's preached, it will be efficacious. It will be effective. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed almost 2,000 years ago. But it's efficacious. It's never lost its power. It's just as effective today as it was when He shed it on Calvary almost 2,000 years ago. It's efficacious. All I have to do is say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me with Your blood and that blood becomes effective in my life. And when this message is preached, it doesn't matter where you preach it. People were delivered from the power of Satan's hand. He will lament. He will weep. God delivered me. God delivered you. The question for you is that when God delivered you from the hand of the devil, did he cry or was he thankful? <laughs> Sorry. You know, Brother Dice used to say this, man is so evil, God doesn't know what to do with him, and, and even the devil don't know what to do with him. Man is so evil, and he's joking, of course. But, but sometimes Brother Dice would say it this way. He would say, you know, cast 
cast the person out of that devil. He said, cast the devil out of that person, cast the person out of that devil. My question to you then, along those lines, is that when God delivered you out of the hands of Satan, did, did Satan celebrate or did he cry? He was so rotten and so mean, the devil didn't even know what to do with you. What are you looking at, Bishop? Coming on up in here. Where's over on Brazos? Coming up over here. Brazos with his ear ringing in his ear. I think you wore shorts one service, didn't you? Yeah. You know, but he was a good... He, you know, what church you used to go to? Yeah, I think he went to Rosa Sharon. Now, I'm not putting that church down or anything, but I... Yeah, he's a good Baptist. He went to Rosa, Rosa Sharon Church, I think. Right? Yeah, I thought so. Coming in here with his earring in his ear, you know, in Brazos Street, wearing shorts, you're thinking he's all cool, you know, all that. Not married, living, you know. Living all kind of ungodliness. All kinds of immorality and sinful lifestyle. He came in church thinking he was saved. Sat down like he was saved. When I got through preaching, he left. He knew he was lost. Amen. And he repented. He got baptized in Jesus' name. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. The earrings left. His shorts. Who knows where they are. <laughs> you know, it's funny when he wore them shorts... I mean, they were shorts, but they were down to about here, about to the calf. That means that they were sort of hanging down some, you know. Well, we don't want to see your underwear. Thank God delivered him, because if I told him what that means, you know, you know what I mean? You're telling everybody, I'm ready. You're a man, you're telling another man, I'm ready. That's what that means. Oh, oh. Hallelujah. Now, got, we got rid of the earring. We got rid of those things, whatever they were, you know. But I still got to watch him because sometimes he, he liked to wear all this big jewelry, you know. <laughs> Look at that thing, man. It blinds you. <laughs> Telling me. I tell you, you got to get rid of the bling, brother. You know what I'm saying? Man. Some of these guys standing in the prayer room, they got all the jewelry on. He calls it, he doesn't call it jewelry, he calls it jewelry. He got it all, you know, he lifted his hand. They got a, I'm going, hey man, would you please cover that up? They're blinding the angels. <laughs> I mean, why can't. If you want a watch, why can't you buy just some little old watch with a leather band? But no, you got to have all the bling going on. I'm still, God's still working on him. Amen? But, but I'm telling you the truth. You see? So sometimes we come in here. How many of you were like that? You came in here and thought you were saved. You came in here, I'm a saved man. And you left, you found out you weren't a saved man. Then you got saved. How many of you got saved? 
See, what we got to do a lot of times is we got to get you, we got to preach to you so you realize you're unsaved so you can get saved. Because some of you think you're saved and you're not saved. So we got to get you unsaved before we get you saved. So I don't know, honestly, I don't know when he got saved if the devil was clapping his hands and saying, thank you, Lord. Or if he was crying, I lost Jonathan. I'm just joking. You have to forgive me because that was my, my mentor, Brother Dice. That's the way he preached, you know. So every once in a while he rubs off on me. He's been with the Lord for a long time. Just cast the man out of that devil. Amen. Some of you wives said, man, I need, you need to get the devil cast out of you, honey. No, you need to cast you out of the devil. you meaner than the devil himself, praise God. And it goes both ways, by the way. There's some wives, they meaner than the devil himself. You understand what I'm saying? You know, poor little oh, Jeremiah was telling you, my wife's telling you about that poor sugar glider. Poor thing. Took him out of the cage. He put him in the cage with the men. And I walked in there and we turned the light on the highway, uh, hallway on, walked in. And that poor sugar glider sitting up on the little bitty trough eating its grape. It looks up at me. <laughs> and you know, my wife's standing there saying, look at this tail. The woman, the woman that showed right this ripped me off the head. And when he looked up at me with his rapings, he said, this happened to me just, you know, I was just doing what I do. I was just doing what I do, and I, did, and I got this. By some of the men that charge you, just do what you do, man. You get your hair ripped off your tail. But he's just all happy. He just great, praise God. He's with the brethren, you know. So it goes both ways. Start talking about how bad person is, how bad you That night when Israel walked out of Egypt, the devil cried for Because blood had been applied, he loses he lost those people. He was trying to hold them in bondage for all those years. <laughs> you used to be in, you used to be a friend of the devil. You scared me, man. I'm looking down to see if my microphone's on the ground or what. to be a friend of the devil. Now, God is using you. You used to be in his camp and a friend of him. Now he's using you to defeat his kingdom. I'd like to think he cries every time you pray. I'd like to think every time you worship God, every time you come to church, every time you live holy, every time you surrender to the word of God, I'd like to think that the, the, the devil cries and mourns and laments. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in the house. 
devil wanted to take Brother Nohara, come here, brother, please, real quick. Stand on the platform. The devil wanted to kill this man. Wanted to kill this man. And when I first saw him, he was one step between him and death. One step. Couldn't even hardly breathe. I remember, did he bring oxygen with him? Brought oxygen with him to church. Literally one step between him and death. He was fixing to go into the grave. He came to church, got baptized in Jesus' name, got filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. God not only saved him, but God healed him. He's out there making an honest living for his family. Look at now how strong he is now. That's the grace and mercy of God Almighty. That's a testimony of the grace of God. God bless you, brother. We love you, man. God can do it for anybody. He did it for, for me. If he can do it for Brother Nehera and Jonathan Lemons, he can do it for anybody. If he did it for you, he can do it for anybody. He made provision for everybody. He doesn't want anybody to be left out. When the enemy loses you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank God for God's saving power. I didn't save myself. I just obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered to me. And when I did, God did the work. He's a wonderful God. Amen. And so when this great cry through the land of Egypt takes place, as I come to a close, the Bible says Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night and told him to get out. Rise up and get out. All the Egyptians were urging upon the people, verse 33, that they might send them out of the land in haste. But they said, we are, we be all dead men. They said, it started with our firstborn. If they stay in here, we all going to be dead. Get them out of here. What they refused to do in the past, they now do with zeal. They didn't want to obey God in the past, but now they serve Him with zeal. God can do that. God can take your life, and you didn't want to serve Him. Trying to get your attention, you now serving with zeal when you didn't want to serve him before. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Verse 33 said, They say, We all dead men, they don't get out of here. Verse 34, and the people took their dough before it was leavened. Eating troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. They borrowed of the Egyptian jewels of silver, jewels of gold, ring. And obviously, this is for the tabernacle. tabernacle. Sad to say, they took some of that and they used it to make a golden calf with it. God would use these things to build his tabernacle. And we'll, we'll teach you to preach on it as we get through the book of Exodus. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Manasseh to Sukkot, about 30 miles. Six hundred thousand on foot. Leaving Egypt. Thirteen 
verse 18, it says, But God led the people about through the wilderness, and the Dead Sea, and the children of Israel went upon us out of the land of Egypt. And look in the middle, the center column of your Bible, the word harness means by ranks of five. 600,000 That's where the estimation comes. Two to six million people went out of Israel that night. As an army. God brought them out of Egypt. Bondage. They were slaves. God brought these slaves out and made them a royal priesthood. Million people. Five in a row. Very orderly. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't just like everybody did their own thing and went their own way. Five in a rank. Marching as an army. As he says in the 12th chapter, he led the night's Five That means ten days. First man left. Ten days. The last man. They left. It was 60 miles long and 8 miles wide. God brought him out by my hand. It wasn't just a few people. 60 miles by 8 miles wide. A camp of 500 square miles. And marching out of Orderly, in rank, not just scattered. God is a God of order. He brings us together as an army. Verse 37, as I come to a close in this latter part, it says, And the children of Israel journeyed from Amasis to Sukkot. 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. When I get over there and I start teaching on the tabernacle, I'm going to tell you how much food it takes to eat. How many train loads. Tell you how much water it took them to have drink. How many well, water wells it would take. I'm going to tell you how much wood it took for them to cook their food. Details like that. It's going to—it's fascinating to understand how large of a company these people were. But along with it was Pharaoh's daughter. She had rejected her pagans and walked out. Not only that, in verse 38, the Bible says a mixed multitude went up also with them. Flocks and herds, very much. You study the book of Numbers, you will find out what that mixed multitude went out with them. You know who they're a type of? They're a type of unconverted church members. They're a type of unregenerated church members. Mixed multitude. They come and they sit in the churches and they're not converted. They come and sit in the churches and they're unregenerate. If you study the book of Numbers, you will find out that it was the mixed multitude that discouraged the people of God from following God. It was the mixed multitude that would murmur against divine authority. You get people in the church that are unregenerated and unconverted, 
they are the troublemakers in the church. They are the ones who discourage people from following the Lord. They are the ones that stir up strife in the house of God. You have to always be aware of it. If they're along with the true people of God, you've got troublemakers. Along with the true people of God, you've got Also, them flocks and herds and cattle very much about. They baked unleavened cakes of dough which they brought forth out of Egypt. For it was not heaven because they were thrust out of Egypt. They not And they prepared for themselves in the let the group as a whole. Verse 40, Now the surgeon of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years at the time. When Jacob went into Egypt. This time, 430 years came to pass. Thirty years in the self same day it came to pass. And all the hosts of the Lord went out and came to Egypt. It is night. It's night to be much observed that the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses, This is the ordinance of the Passover. So not a stranger in the Final thing is I come to a close. In connection to the Passover celebration, God says there's some people you cannot allow to participate. So that when we do the Lord's Supper, we follow these guidelines. Okay, number one, the stranger. We'll break it down in just a minute. No stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant. Now, first of all, the stranger is somebody that's not a born again believer. Okay? They're not a part of the household of faith. Amen. They may be a guest in the church, but if they're not a born again brother or sister, they're strangers. We want them here. We want them to be in the service, but when we take the Lord's Supper and we uphold this here, simply say to those that are our guests, if you're not born again of the water and the Spirit, please be born of yourself. You will take When you get baptized in your name, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and you enter into covenant with God, and you become a born again believer, then you can't participate. We have a Bible for what we do. We have a Bible for what we do. But we don't want anybody to feel left out. God is the stranger. And not participate. It goes on, it says in verse 44, But every man's servant that is bought for money, thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. New Testament circumcision is water baptism in Jesus' name, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. So when that person gets circumcised, they enter into covenant. Once they get water baptized in Jesus' name, Warner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. There's certain people you don't want to take. If you're not, if you're not cleansed of your sin, if you're not in covenant with Jesus Christ, if you're just a guest at the church service, you don't want to take the Lord's Supper. Because if you do, you take it unworthily. You need damnation on the 
As I come to a close, there is such a liberal spirit in people. Such a liberal spirit. A liberal spirit in pastors. They want everybody to do everything. They lack no courage to uphold the word of the living God. And I ask you, if you were to start a church and you were to become a pastor, would you be kind of pastors? Oh, this led have to set the order of God in the house. Be kind about it. Be merciful. Be gentle. Explain to them. You're putting your soul in jeopardy. You take this, take this fruit of the vine and the bread, which represents the body of the blood of Jesus Christ, and you take it unworthy, you're going to heap damnation on your soul. One thing I'm fighting right now, I know Brother Evans has spotted in Taiwan. It's this liberal spirit. We have to follow God's will. And we're going to follow it to the end. The best of our ability. Because number one, I don't want to go to hell. Number two, I don't want you to go to hell. Number three, I don't want my guests to go to hell. Want to share the gospel with them once they get converted, then they can take the Lord's Supper because it's a renewing of the covenant that you already entered into. Verse 46 And what house shall it be eaten? Thou shalt not carry forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. As Jesus hung on the cross, no bone was broken in his body. All the congregation shall keep it. When a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be what? Circumcised. Man, aren't you thankful today that you don't have to go through physical circumcision? When you came to church and we were celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is a carryover from Passover, it's a fulfillment days. We walked up and said, okay, you want to take this? Lord's Supper. We're going to have to take you out back and circumcise you. about that. No, it's a lot better, a lot easier for us to say be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. It's a lot less painful. Right? Y'all are me. No, we're not. We love you. That's why we tell you the truth. Let his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is of home born, and unto the stranger that sojourned among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses, and herein so did they. It came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by this is the very thing. Everything that's been preached before was pointed to. God's deliverance for His people, bringing them out in this exodus, this departure. And I've done my best by the grace of God to try to bring it to you in an understanding so you can apply it to your life in this day in the New Testament. Let's stand. Father, we thank you right now for your mighty presence.
thank you for the instruction that we find in your word. We ask that your blessing rest upon each of us as we journey from this house. And we thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth. Thank you for deliverance in our lives. Let us take each thing, each word, apply it to our life, and let us live it out. Thank you. By your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.